Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning. Welcome to our 10 o'clock service that feels like 8.15. Can I get an amen? Anybody in that spring forward fog? Anybody? Yep. I can see it. Okay. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 20 this morning. Acts chapter 20. You ever had, you ever had one of those moments where you just look at something you've done? And I'm not, I'm not talking about pride in the bad sense because you, you can be prideful. I don't, I don't mean that. But where you just kind of have that little sense of pride where you're like, I did that. Like you kind of have that sense of accomplishment. There's a sense of satisfaction when you look at something and you go, that, that came from me. It's like maybe a, a project that you had to do for work or maybe a report that you had to do for school. And you, you like step back and you look at it and you go, I, I did a good job on that. That, that turned out really well. Maybe you, maybe you renovated or, or redecorated a room in your house uh, the, kind of based on your, your skill level, whatever that might be. And at the end, you're like, the house is still standing. You know, it's like, this was good. I like this. This looks, this looks good. Maybe either professionally or just, just as, as a novice, maybe you're a musician or an artist or a designer or something, and you know what it's like to have that sense of accomplishment when you look at something you've done and you step away and you go, well, that turned out all right. For some of you, it may be as simple as breakfast, right? <laughs> but you go, I mastered those scrambled eggs. Or maybe you just say to yourself, like an expert, I have made the perfect waffle. There's those moments where you just think to yourself, I did this. Anybody ever been there, that sense of satisfaction? When we see what the Apostle Paul says in this passage, and I think this is really important to grasp where we're going today. There's these moments where we look at something and we go, okay, this is my life. And, and I'm okay to step back and look at it with a sense of satisfaction. In Acts chapter 20, you've got the Apostle Paul. He's on his way back from Turkey and, and modern-day Greece, what we would know as those areas, and he's moving uh, to the east, and he's heading back to Jerusalem. He's heading back to Israel. He wants to get back. He's in a hurry. He wants to get back in time for the, for the feast, for the festival of Pentecost. And so because of that, he's on a really tight schedule. And his tight schedule keeps him from being able to visit his friends who live in a city called Ephesus. But when he gets to a place called Miletus, he has a little bit of extra time. So from 30 miles away, he sends a message to the people in Ephesus, and he says, I don't have time to come to you, but do you have time to come to me? Like, can you come and spend some time with me? <clears throat> Excuse me. So some of his friends who are the leaders, the elders, the, the pastors, the, the deacons, whatever you want to call them, the leadership of the church in Ephesus, they go from Ephesus, a city that Paul loved, a church that he spent the most amount of time at of the ones that he started. He had a deep connection and intimacy with these people. These leaders come 30 miles south, and they visit and spend some time with Paul. And when you read Acts chapter 20, you see that they have a, I don't know, just, I, I love this passage of scripture because they have such a special time together. Something, there's something sacred and, and meaningful about the, the, the time that they spend. And we started looking at this last week, and at the, at the very centerpiece of the words that Luke records, and Luke was there, the words that Luke records that Paul said, the centerpiece we find in verse 24. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If 
only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. It, it gripped me the way Paul uses that word if only there because he uses it in a way very different from the way we usually use it. Usually we use it in the sense to say, boy, if only I had or if only I hadn't. If only things had been different, if only I hadn't said that. But that's not what Paul says here. What Paul says here is, if only I can, if only I may, if only I'm able to. His if only isn't going to the past. His if only is going to the future. He's saying, if only I can make the most of what God has given to me. What you hear here is the voice of someone who's living a life without regrets. And the regrets he did have, he's living past those things. And what we looked at last week, which, which I think is significant to this whole series, what if we changed our if only from if only I had to if only I can? What if we were able to change the, the if onlys in our lives, our vocabulary, our thoughts, our, our processes, the way we look at life from if only I had to if only I can? I think for some of us that would change everything because for many of us, we, we know what it's like to, to think about regret. I went to the Oxford Dictionary and looked up a definition for the word regret. It's a feeling of sadness, repentance, or disappointment over an occurrence or something that one has done or failed to do. And so many times the regrets that we have in life come because we've been living life without thinking about our life. Like I think a lot of times we just kind of barrel through life or we just kind of do things without really thinking them through or having expectations or considering what maybe our role is, remember that word role, because that's gonna be really important in the next two weeks. We go through life without thinking about what our role is, and then at some point we get to a place where we look back and we have regrets, we feel sadness, maybe even repentance, because what we thought it would be, it's not. And we see what we did that we wish we hadn't have done, and we see what we didn't do that now we wish we could only go back and do again, and we have these regrets. Maybe if we had a better handle on our roles, what was expected of us, what, what the meaning of our life was, maybe that would help us to deal with our regrets. And I think this is really clear and really key in what Paul says in this passage. Because when you hear Paul speak in this passage, you don't hear regrets here. You, you hear some disappointment. You hear hardship. You hear concern, maybe even a little anxiety, some might think. What you hear from Paul is real life but you don't hear regret. You hear a man who's come to terms with what his role is. Let me encourage you with this, and we're gonna, we're gonna see this the next two weeks. Understanding our role enables us to live past our regrets. You, you may still have regrets in your life, and there will be unfortunate things, and things you didn't plan, and things that you will regret happen a certain way, things that may be out of your control. But I'm telling you this, if you have an understanding of your role, who you are meant to be, how you should live your life, what expectations you have out in front for yourself, when you get a grasp on your role, understanding our role enables us to live past our regrets. So next week, we're gonna look at, at, at the role that Paul kind of paints for us in the second half of this passage, kind of the, the, the half after verse 24. We're gonna look at what Paul says up to verse 24 today and look at the role that he takes on there. And I think you'll, you'll see this as we move forward. There is a role, a, a, a part of Paul's life that he's painting in front of them. Let's read this passage and watch what he says. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. 
From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Like a sixth grader with the science fair project, or like an employee who just made a great presentation, or like somebody who puts the perfect waffle in front of you on a Saturday morning, Paul steps back and says, here's, here's my life. You saw me. Ephesus, you know me. You know how I've lived. And what you hear here is the voice of a man who's lived his life in front of these people. He, he lived there for three years consistently, day in, day out. He says, you know my life, and you hear the voice of a man who's lived his life without regret because he knew the role that he was playing for them. Here's the deal. He had to build his life, and think about this. He built a life in front of them that pointed them to Jesus Christ. What I hear Paul say in this message is that he had taken on the role of a builder. See, I've often thought about this, what it's like to like, like build, a, build a building, build a structure, build a house, and then every time you drive by it, you think to yourself, I built that. Like when you see that thing weather the storm and you go, I, I built that. When you drive by something and somebody else goes, look at that, that's a good looking house. You're like, yeah, I built that. For some of you, you even know what it's like to have built the house that you live in. And you have that sense of, of, of satisfaction where you go, I built this place. What Paul is saying to them in his role as a builder is Ephesus, you know me, here's my life, I built this you see it in front of you, and he does it without regret. I think that as much as Paul expresses this in the role and he shows the life that he built, you and I are going to have to do the same thing. Because at some point in our lives, whether to our family or to our peers, and I guarantee you certainly before God someday, you're going to have to give an account for the life that you built. Whether you realize it or not, you're building something, right? <laughs> All of us have the role of a builder. My question is, what kind of life are you building? Like, are you doing it unconsciously? Are you just throwing things together? Or are you deliberate? Are you just looking back and saying, if only I had built a life? Or what if you were to say, if only I can be a builder? See, that's the role I want to talk to you about today. The role in your life that you are a builder of your life and the lives of those around you. If only I, if I've got to give a, a title to this message, if only I can be a builder. 
And when I look at what Paul says in this passage, there's four things that kind of show up to me. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to run through these four things. Let's, let's for the sake of, of having something to call them, let's call them four tools for building a life without regret. I want to show you some tools for building a life without regret. This, this might be a little bit tricky for some of us with our daylight savings time hangover, but we can make it. Can I get an amen? Right? All right. So we're going to walk through this. And here's what I want to do. For each one of those, I want to kind of make a connection back to the world of building, of construction, kind of an analogy to help us to see how these tools will help us if we're going to build a life that we can live without regret. Here's the first one, kind of the first tool for building a life without regret. Number one, let's just call it purpose. Number one, purpose. Man is Paul clear. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Isn't that strong language? He says, my only aim, the English Standard Version says, if only I may, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Do you think Paul had some clarity on his purpose? <laughs> I mean, it was crystal clear, more so than most of us probably have for the purpose in our lives, but more so than probably most people ever will. But it gave definition to his life. And all of us need a purpose for our lives. In the same way that when someone is building a structure, they need a set of blueprints, a set of plans that you can roll out in front and look at those plans and go, okay, this is what we're going to do. You and I need a purpose to serve as that blueprint for our lives if we're going to build a life that's effective. We, we've done enough kind of construction, renovation stuff around here. I've started to kind of know my way around a set of blueprints. I know what's structural, I know what's mechanical, I know what's electrical, I know what the carpenters are looking at. Like, I can find the right page, I can show you the lighting schemes. Like, I got, I got all that kind of figured out. And what I've come to find out is if you're not looking at the right page, if you're not in the right room, if you don't have the right tradespeople, if you don't have that purpose there out in front of you, what you're trying to build is only gonna be a mess and you're gonna have conflict with all kinds of people. At some point, those blueprints, that purpose makes all the difference in your life. Paul was super clear on his purpose. I'm gonna finish the race. I'm gonna complete the task, the task of testifying to the good news of the grace of God through Jesus Christ in my life. And many of us would say, and I, I think, and I think rightfully so, Chad, I don't know what my purpose is. How do, how do I find my purpose? And I think this is extremely significant for us to think about. And we've, we've talked about this before, but can I show you some thoughts about purpose and how do you find purpose and how do you live out purpose? And we're going to kind of rapid fire move through this. And especially if you're in a season of transition or if you're in a season of frustration or especially those of you that are starting something new, whether it's a new job or whether because of your age, you're looking at your life out in front of you or you're, you're, in, a, you're in a new relationship, or you're in a new season or whatever. These are some things to really give some thought to about purpose. One is this, my purpose begins with God. If, if my purpose begins anywhere else, if there's anything else that is the priority in my life, it's only gonna be frustrating and it's only gonna lead to disappointment. And for many of us, we go, what, what if I don't know the purpose for my life? Here's the helpful part. For many of us, we want like very clear steps. We want an email that tells us at this age, at this age, at this age, at this age. And then, you know, at the end, it's, it's signed love God. And it tells you what exactly to do on March 24th, 2020 or whatever, right? 
We want that kind of purpose. Here's how it works typically. Typically, purpose doesn't come right down to the specific. It usually starts with the general. And if I'll do the general, if I'll do the basic, if I'll do the things that I know are the right things to do, then God is able to direct me to the specific. But I found he can't trust me with the specific if he doesn't first know I'll be obedient in the general. Does that make sense? When Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he wrote all this this wisdom, and he goes through these chapters, 12 chapters, to talk to us about the meaning of life. How many of you have ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? Not really a pick-me-up, is it? It's it's kind of sobering. And he goes through all of this, and when he gets to the very end, here's what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. And, And you can just feel people lean in because he's saying, hey, here's the purpose of life. You ready? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. You want to to know what your purpose is? Humanity, you want to know what your duty is? You you fear God. That that means you honor him, you respect him, and you obey him. You, You keep his commandments. And if you will honor and obey God, then you found the secret. You found the purpose of life. Once I begin to move forward with the general, I I honor God and I keep his commandments, then he can direct me toward the specific. And often he does that in this way too. Something else about your purpose. My purpose aligns with scripture. Like my purpose has to align with scripture, with God's word, with what God's word speaks to me about. And if my whole purpose in life is about wealth or status or reputation, then somehow I've missed what God's word says about what really matters. I mean, we, we, could, we could unpack that for a long time, but my purpose has to line up with scripture. And here's the second thing. My purpose aligns with season, right? Not just does my purpose align with scripture, but my purpose aligns with season. Now, we'll take more time to talk about this in, in the role that we look at next week. But when you think about a purpose, the season that you are in has a definite bearing on the purpose that you have as a student, as a parent, as a grandparent. What happens is we lose our purpose when we begin to focus on building something in the wrong season. If if you're trying to do something and it's the wrong season, then you're only gonna frustrate yourself. If it is sub-zero temperatures and there's six inches of snow on the ground, is that the right time to be pouring concrete? Yes or no? (laughs) No, that's a dumb idea. You wait till it warms up. You, you wait till it's better weather. You know what you do when it's sub-zero and six inches? Get a shovel out. That's what you do in that season. And then when the season's right, then that's when you pour the concrete. But if you get those things backwards, you're only frustrated. Some of us put all our energy into things when it's the wrong season to be doing those things. And the problem is, not only are we wasting our energies because we're not gonna be effective, but there's great things that we've left undone. And if you're worried about building something at the, at the neglect of your family, or if you're worried about building something else at the neglect of your relationship with God, when it's a season when you're supposed to be doing that, then you're gonna find yourself just in a place of frustration. The timing is so key, and it's so important. And there are seasons when you gotta work hard, and there's seasons when you need to rest. And there's seasons when you need to think big. 
And there's seasons when what's important in front of you is small. And there's seasons when everything is exciting. And there's seasons when God says, no, your priority right now is something boring. (laughs) But if you miss that season, you miss out on your purpose. That'll lead you to regret. So you have to be really sensitive about the season that you're in. So my purpose starts with God. It aligns with scripture. It aligns with season. This is really helpful for me. My purpose gives me clarity. My purpose gives me clarity. When I have purpose, when I know what season I'm in, when I, when I know what generally God wants me to do, then it helps me to answer this question. When things come my way, and look, things are always coming our way, aren't they? I mean, just the culture around us, and there's always a text, and there's always a phone call, and there's always an email, and there's always somebody knocking on the door, and there's always some opportunity that's coming your way. There's always a distraction somewhere. My purpose gives me clarity because when all these things come knocking on my door, I ask the question, does this help me accomplish my purpose? And if the answer's no, then it's easy for me to go, well, if that doesn't help me accomplish my purpose, then I can probably call it a distraction, not an opportunity, And that helps me to say no to something with confidence. If I say, does this help me accomplish my purpose? And I say yes, then I've got to ask yes and how much? Like like yes and then with what priority? Because there are good things that come in my life, but they can't trump my relationship with God and, and they can't affect my family. Does that make sense? Like so it gives me that clarity to ask those things. And I cannot confuse the urgent and the important because there will always be things that are important. And I need to make sure that I've got a good gauge on those different things, that I have those priorities. And can I encourage you with this? We have to learn to tell the difference between the loud voices and the important voices. Because the loud voices can get our attention, but that does, just because it's loud doesn't mean it's important. I, I, love, to, I love to tell the story this a couple years ago. Wednesday night, I was leaving church after services on a Wednesday night and if, if you know, like, we, we've got the two in and out exits here, and the one has the traffic light. The one of the south has the traffic light. And so I was sitting there, and I was the, the first car. The light was red. I was waiting for it to turn green so I could make a left-hand turn. And a car pulls up behind me, you know, and I peek in the rearview mirror. I don't know who they are, and I know a lot of people here at the church. And uh, I'm pretty sure I don't know them. I'm pretty sure they don't know me. And so I'm just kind of sitting there waiting for the light to turn. That light turned green, and the second it turned green, one of you just laid on your horn which apparently the message that night had not been about patience. And I don't think they knew I was the pastor, out of which I find great joy. I'm just looking to see which one of you is turning red. (laughs) Get moving there, slowpoke. I got to go. They wanted me to just, boom, go barreling out into that intersection. But here's what I know. I know I'm not barreling out into that intersection because I've seen too many times where people go barreling through that intersection. So I realized that although their honking of the horn was loud, it was important for me to make sure that things were clear. Do you know what my purpose was? Getting home that night. My purpose was not speeding them along. My purpose was making sure that I got home safe for my family. And I was hungry. I wanted to get home. And I had to know that even though that joker behind, I mean, that person behind me was loud. What was important was me doing the right thing. My purpose helps me to determine the difference between the loud voices 
and the important voices. See, my purpose gives me clarity, and my purpose gives me confidence. You, you hear this in, in Paul's voice as he speaks to them. It's like, you know me. You know how I lived. You know what I did. He doesn't have regrets as he talked to them. In fact, do you think Paul had regrets? I guarantee you he did. How could he not? At some point in his life, before Jesus got a hold of him, he was a persecutor of the church. There were Christians who found themselves in prison and executed because of what Paul did. You don't think there were times in his life when he wished that things were different? And yet that's not what you hear him talk about. He doesn't say, if only I had. He says, if only I can. Because he allowed his past regrets to fuel his confidence in what God had called him in the future. Instead of it holding him in the past, it propelled him into God's calling for his life. And so your, your, your purpose gives you confidence in those times. And I just started processing this a little bit for myself. Like, I would challenge you to do the same thing. As we talk about this, how it starts with God, it aligns with Scripture, it aligns with the season, it, it gives us clarity, it gives us confidence. And I had to say, look, for myself, what's my purpose? My ultimate purpose is that one day, when this life is over, I stand before Jesus and I hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, that's my purpose. And I've got to realize that no matter what you or anybody else say about me, my value and my worth is found in Jesus Christ. And maybe I don't need to hear that today, but I bet a whole lot of you do. That your purpose is not based on who's honking the horn behind you, but the destination that you're headed to. And some of you have unique roles that no matter how many other loud voices there are, you can't forfeit those roles in this season. For me, it's husband and father and friend and child and leader. And I've got to be careful of all those other things that try to distract me from those voices. Anybody else? I've got to decide how to say yes to what matters, and I've got to choose with confidence to live intentionally. Because I can look back and see far too many times when I didn't let my purpose guide me in moments when it should have. So I've got to make the most of that car ride and I've got to not be afraid that in the midst of that meeting, when I feel the Holy Spirit tell me to speak life to that person, that I'm willing to do it. And when there's that opportunity for me to invest into somebody's eternity, that I take that shot. Because that's the purpose that he's called me to. Look, I, I can live a life of confidence without regret when I go, God, help me. Give me the blueprints for your purpose for my life. That's what you hear from Paul. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing I want to show you. If we're going to talk about tools for building a life without regret, because you are a builder. If you're gonna build a life without regret, number two is integrity. Number two is integrity. Listen to what Paul says, Acts chapter 20, verse 18. When they arrived, so these are his friends from Ephesus. These are the people that lived with him day in, day out for three years. These are the people that knew him as well as anybody else. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, twice in this passage he uses this tone where he says, you know me, you know how I lived. He was able to say that with confidence because he had lived in front of them a life of integrity. If purpose is the blueprints, then integrity is the foundation on which we build. And you know that no building is worth standing in without a good foundation. You don't wanna be in a structure that doesn't have a strong foundation. And your foundation, the foundation of your life, 
is your integrity. It's being who you say you are. It's living a life that is true. It's not being double-minded or two-faced. And it's clear in Paul's words that he lived a life of integrity. And here's why this is so key here. Because integrity is, is, is really, it, it's cool to see from a distance. But the closer you get to someone, the more that integrity matters. The closer you get, that's where you see the integrity really come through. My junior high science teacher was a guy named Cy Furlan. I loved, I loved Mr. Furlan's class. And one of the things he used to do was he used to, he used to hand out, I don't know when they would come, monthly, quarterly, I don't know how often, but there were these take-home little magazines that he would give to us. I don't think I ever read one article in those magazines. But on the inside cover of the front, inside of the front cover, there were always this like, little block of three or four pictures that you had to look at and try and figure out what they were. Because they were always a photograph that wasn't taken from a distance, but that was taken up like super close. Looked like they'd taken the picture with a microscope. And you could see not just what the thing was, but you could see like the very fiber of it. You could see the strands inside the, the flower, and you could see how, how that fabric was woven together. And you had to look at it, and you had to try to guess and figure out what is that. And then you'd look at it, you'd try to figure it out, and then you'd go to the back page, and on the back, inside back cover, real small down at the bottom, upside down were the answers. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you know that kind of thing? And I loved that. That was my favorite part. I was like, man, I want to see, what are those pictures? Part of why I loved it was because my teacher used to take some of those pictures and submit them to the magazine, and sometimes they would use his picture. You'd see like photo cred, Cypherlin, and he'd be like, uh, number three, I took that picture. <laughs> Trying to impress us. Sense of accomplishment. I built that. And we were impressed. It's my favorite part of that magazine. Because the closer you got, the more you could actually see what held that thing together. You could see what gave it its strength. You could see, if you would, its integrity. You know who sees your integrity the most? The people who know you the best. What's Paul say about integrity here? It's interesting. One of the things he says to them, he goes, look, without a shame, he just says, you know how I lived. You know me. You saw me. We lived together for three years. Here's what he's saying to them. Integrity is living your life with character. Integrity is living your life with character, not just what you say, but who you are, not just the person you portray yourself to be, but that people can look and say, who he says he is, that, that's how he lives. You know how I live. That's the foundation of their life. Look, we all have idiosyncrasies. All of us have dysfunctional stuff in our lives, some of us more than others. Can I get an amen? <laughs> like we've, we've all got our stuff, right? But at some point, and especially even if we've got some of those I wish I had regrets, if only I had regrets, look, integrity says from this point on, starting today, if only I can live a life of integrity. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, this is a key verse. Whoever walks in integrity walks Securely. That's what I saw in Mr. Furlan's photo, how those things were held together up close. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Paul says, look, you know how I lived among you? He says this, the whole time I was with you. Integrity is not just a matter of your character. Integrity is living your life with consistency. It's not just that you... You are who you say you are, 
but that you stay being are who you say you are. That you live a life that is consistent. Man, I'm seeing this more and more in people's lives. And parents, I'm seeing this more and more as a detriment in the lives of our children. I'm hearing it from people, and I'm hearing it generations later, that when we say we're one thing and we live it out a different way, that lack of integrity erodes the foundation in our lives and our testimony and in our families. And it might be little things, little things that you think you just keep in the back that nobody knows about, nobody understands, people just kind of wonder about. But look, those are the things that are gonna do you in. Integrity is living your life with character. Integrity is living your life with consistency. Mikhail Prisic is from the Czech Republic. He made the news last summer when he was cited as being a part of a traffic accident. It was interesting because he, uh, he was out taking his pet for a walk, and he's walking, and she's on the leash, and as he's out taking his pet for a walk, a, a cyclist runs into his pet. Animal lovers are concerned. Don't be. The cyclist ran into his pet lion. He was out taking his lioness for a walk. You think that'll get your dog to barking when somebody rocks by your house in the neighborhood? How'd you like it if your neighbor takes a lion for a walk? He, he raised some eyebrows with all this. The police have, had no idea what to do with him. When this happened, they just called it a traffic accident. <laughs> really interesting. He made the news again last week when they didn't know where he was. And so they went in the backyard. He's built a homemade cage that he keeps the two lions that he has in. He's, he's got them for breeding purposes for whatever reason. They found him. He had gone inside the cage that he had made. The door had closed behind him, and he couldn't get out. And when they found him, he had been mauled to death by the pets he kept in his backyard. Look, those things that you keep in the back that you think really you've got under control, they don't matter that much, but they're just a novelty, but honestly, what they are are challenges to your integrity. If you don't move forward with character and consistency, those are the things that are going to do you in. Paul's a builder. Paul says, Ephesus, you, you've seen my life. You know that I've built with purpose, and you know that I've built with integrity. Here's the third one. Number three, you, you build a life of humility. Number three, you build a life of humility. We, we have a way of dismissing this word, I, I think, far too often. Here's what Paul says about it. Acts chapter 20, verse 19. Listen closely to this. He says, and remember, he says, look, Ephesus, you know me. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Both of those words are really important. Look, we, we talk about the value of blueprints. That's our purpose. And we talk about the value of a foundation. That's our integrity. But I'm convinced that humility is the internal structure of that house that holds everything together. It's the part that keeps the walls from falling in and keeps the roof from caving down on top of you. What gives internal structure to your life, think about this for a moment, what gives internal structure to your life is humility. And when you pull humility out of that structure, that's when things begin to fall apart. Paul says, look, you know me, you saw me, 
He doesn't say this with pride. I think he says it with genuine honesty. He says, you saw my humility. Two things that we see in what he says. Number one is this. Humility is essential to servanthood. He says, you saw how I served the Lord with humility. Humility is essential to servanthood. If you're truly going to be a servant, then you do it with humility. I have a a mentor, a a pastor friend of mine, who, who likes to say this. He likes to say, I love it when people call me a servant until they start treating me like one. Think about that for a moment. We all love to be called a servant as long as you don't treat me like one. You know who gave us the best example of servanthood? Anybody? In all of scripture, who was it? It was? For the record, 99% of the time, if I ask a question, the answer is Jesus. There you go. All right, good. So if you're asleep and I ask a question, just Jesus, just do that, okay? (laughs) Just do that. We'll we'll try it again. You know who's the best example of servanthood in scripture? It is? Nice work. Paul said this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Can I tell you what humility is? And especially when it comes time for you to serve, serve in your family, serve in the church, wherever it might be, humility is the internal structure of your life. It's the load-bearing walls inside of what you're building. And when you take humility out, that's when everything else begins to fall apart. When Paul talked about humility to the elders from the city of Ephesus, I can't help but wonder if for some of them they, they, they didn't think of their own history. How about 400 years before this, and about 356 BC, if you remember when we talked about the city of Ephesus several weeks ago, one of the things that we said is that it was a center for all kinds of idolatry and all kinds of idol worship. And part of the reason why was because Ephesus was the home to one of the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was, it was a modern marvel of that time architecturally. It was what was called the Temple of Artemis, or sometimes you'll hear it called a temple to the goddess Diana. And it's this incredible structure that was there, amazing, 40 feet high. And that time had all these double rows of columns. It was ceremonial. It was incredible. It was, it was known all over the world. It was a wonder of the ancient world. Until in 356, some thug named Herostratus set out to make his mark in history. He walked into the Temple of Artemis one night, and he set it on fire. The temple's wooden interior, particularly the wooden beams inside of it, and the statue of Artemis herself and the furnishings inside, they all quickly caught in flames. And by the next morning, all that was left standing were 36 blackened marble columns and a smoldering ruin. They were quickly able to catch this guy. They arrested him. They tortured him. And what's interesting is while they tortured him, he confessed why he had set the temple on fire. And here's what he said. He said, I burned that temple in an attempt to immortalize my name in history. I did this so that people will remember who I am. How's that for humility? Guess what they did? Part of his punishment, they forbade anyone from ever mentioning his name again. And for centuries, no one spoke his name or knew who he was. Look, a lot of you are are sitting there thinking, cool story, Chad, neat that it's from Ephesus, but I'm not crazy. (laughs) I'm 
I'm not going to burn something down just to try to get some attention. No, but I'm telling you, every time you dismiss humility, every time you do something to try to help people see who you are and get your name out there in a way that is outside of God's best for your life, every time when your focus is on pride or self-promotion in a way that is unhealthy, you are like an arsonist to your own soul. You're setting fire to the structure of what God wants to do inside of you. I love being a servant until somebody treats me like one. Paul says, look, if you're going to build something that has internal structure, then you build that with humility. Humility is essential to servanthood. And can I show you this? Humility is essential to intimacy. Paul says, look, you know me. I serve the Lord with humility and with tears, he said. That one, that one was interesting to me. Why would he say tears? And here's, here's why. Four times in the New Testament, you have from the words of Paul's lips where he uses this word tears. Every single time. It's not about remorse and it's not about pain. Every time he uses this word tears, somehow it's in the context of relationship. Somehow it's where he's talking about interaction with somebody else. So when he talks about tears here, he's not just talking about hard times. He's talking about relationship. He's talking about community. He's talking about intimacy. And he says, look, I served you in a way that comes from a place of deep relationship. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says, look, humility, if you're going to build a life, that internal structure, it has to be about more than just you. Not only are you serving, but you are making a difference in the life of other people. Anybody ever gotten a blister? Anybody? Do you know what I'm talking about? I see some of you pointing to other people. Yeah, they did. Cool. Uh, like, you know, like, you get a new pair of shoes, right? And if they don't fit quite right, you wear them, you like them, because you look so cool in those shoes. And then you get home, and you've got this blister on, the, on your foot. You know what I'm talking about? And then it's gross and swells up. And you want, oh, never mind. That's gross. So, so, like, lately, I've felt like I have a blister on my soul. Like, something has just been rubbing and grating and irritating to the point that it's left this really like sensitive and uncomfortable part of me. It seems like everywhere I turn, the words that I hear speak, people speak about other people are just unkind. People won't give others the benefit of the doubt. And there's this expectation of the worst of other people. And I see it in the culture all the way around us, and I hear it in social media, and I hear it in the comments that are made. And can I just be clear? This is, this is not about me. This is not one of those shots where you go, stop saying mean things about the pastor. This, I don't mean that. I mean this about what I, what I hear about you and what I hear about people that are different than, than you might be. And this is what I hear about the, just, just people in the world around us. And it's not just what I hear from the guy down the street. It's what I hear Christians saying about other Christians. And it's what I hear Christians saying or posting on social media about those that we're supposed to be loving. And it just keeps rubbing up against my soul to the point that I feel like I got a blister on my soul. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Paul says, when I built my life, I built it with humility 
that served other people and with tears. Instead of me trashing you or me being jealous of you or me looking for that little place in your life that's got that weakness that I can expose, it's me saying I'm gonna rejoice with those that rejoice and I'm gonna weep with those that weep. When things aren't going well, I'll, I'll come alongside of you and I'll speak the truth in love. And if you need to take a journey, I'll, I'll journey that with you. I'll walk through that with you. I'll come to you with a sense of humility. Paul says, I'm a builder. And my, my blueprints are my purpose. And my foundation is my integrity. And what holds this whole thing up is my humility. It, it gives it structure. And what protects me from the outside, what, what are those outer walls? What is that thing that shields you from the storm? What do you call the, 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 the exterior of that house? Number four, let's call it courage. Last one that you hear from Paul in this, in this passage of scripture. Number four, let's call it courage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these next uh, five verses here. You listen to them and see where you hear tones of courage. Paul says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now... Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. The outside of the house has to be built to withstand the storm. That takes courage. And man, I hear a lot of courage from Paul in that passage. He says, when my opponents were trying to stop me, I just kept doing it. And when I came up against these challenges, I did what I knew was right to do. And now I'm walking into the future, and I honestly don't know what the future's going to hold. I kind of have this sneaky suspicion it's not going to be good. But I'm going to do what I need to do. See, let me tell you about courage. Courage is displayed in perseverance. Courage is displayed when I say, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to make the right decision. I'm going to make the right choice. Courage is displayed in perseverance, even in the face of opposition, even in the face of difficulty. Courage says, even when things and people try to stop me, I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to do the right thing. Courage is displayed in the face of perseverance. And can I tell you this? So many times we think courage is a heroic act. For many of you, courage is just doing the right thing tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., Courage is saying, I'm going to take that step. For many of you, courage is saying, I'm not going to give up. I'm, I'm going to keep investing in this relationship, and I'm going to keep trying to see this on the other end, and I'm not going to quit this job just yet. And God, I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to reach out to that person, even if I'm afraid that I'm just going to get rejected. Courage is displayed in perseverance, and courage is displayed in obedience. Paul says, ah, I don't even know what's going to happen to me. I, the Holy Spirit tells me that in the next city, I'm, I'm, I'm facing hardship, maybe even prison. But I'm going to do what he called me to do because even in the midst of uncertainty, it's right for me to do the right thing. And I don't want to share with you today some, some, some story of extraordinary courage where somebody just kind of weathered the storm or did something incredible or found themselves in a heroic moment. Do you want to know what courage looks like? Here's what courage looks like in the everyday. Courage is you saying no when the culture pushes you to say yes. 
Courage is knowing your purpose enough to know that you're called to do something that's more important, that there's something more important for you to do than just what you want to do. Courage is you making the tough call to do the right thing. Courage is having the integrity to align the private you with the public you. Courage is being the same person with your family that you are with your coworkers. Courage is making sure that today's Sunday you is the same person when it's Thursday you. Courage is being okay with being a servant even when people treat you like one. Courage is putting other people first even if it costs you something. Courage is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Courage is doing your best to heal the blisters that are on people's souls. It's persevering in the hard times every day. It's obeying even when it's uncertain. And for some of you, you know what the greatest act of courage is going to be? The greatest act of courage for some of you is going to, to be living past your regrets. It's going to be stop saying, if only I had, and start saying, if only I can. If only I can be a builder. Now, that may mean I have to repair some things in relationships. And that may mean that as a builder, there's bridges I've got to build. And there's things I've got to repair. That may mean I have to look to the past to be able to move into the future. But it's getting past those regrets and not being chained in the back. And it's having the courage to say, if only I can be a builder with purpose and integrity and humility and courage, I will build my life on you, Lord. So can I ask you to stand with me if you would, please? Whether you're here in this room or you're in auditorium too, maybe even if you're watching on a screen somewhere, would you join with us? We're gonna sing a song, and my hope is that you'll make this song your prayer. That this song will be what, what we speak in this moment. And we say, God, I will build my life on you. And as we sing this, would you make this song your prayer? Father, in these next few moments, we look to you. If only we can build the life that you've called us to. We sing this with our hearts to you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.
your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I'm sure there's some of you that are, are, are watching this. You're in Auditorium 2. You're here in Auditorium 1. And in this moment, you, you would say, I've never built my life with purpose or intentionality. Or maybe you say, I've never found a way to build my life on God's love. What's so important for you to know is that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. That Jesus came and lived a life without any sin. And he died on a cross so that he could pray, pay the price for your sins and for my sins. Maybe you'd say, I've, I've tried to build my life on my own and I just can't do it anymore. Then today's the day when that can change because Jesus not only died on the cross, but on the third day he rose again and he lives today to give us life so that in him our life finds purpose and meaning. And that happens when you ask him to be your savior and your Lord. Savior means the one who brings me forgiveness and Lord means the one who gives my life purpose. And if you're, if you're watching this or you're in this room and you'd say today, I can't build my life on my own anymore. I need to begin or begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? You say, today I need to begin or begin again. You can raise your hand and put it right back down. It's between you and God, nobody else. Would you say, today I need to begin or begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I can't build my life on my own. I need him. Yeah, thanks. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you, if you raised your hand or if you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, would you repeat this prayer after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask that you'd forgive my sin, be my Savior, give my life purpose and meaning, be my Lord. I want to build my life on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, if you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, can I encourage you, stop by our Connection Center out in the atrium. We have friends there who will talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus. We have a Bible that we want to give to you that's, that's, that's easy to understand and to read. If you're watching online, there's a link at the top of our webpage that says JesusToledoCalvary.org. Just click on that link. There's more information there about how you can know more about following Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Calvary, thanks for being here today. Pray that you will build your life with purpose, integrity, humility, and courage. Let's go from here with his special favor and his wonderful peace. Have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday.